Warning, incoming game. Warning, incoming game. Welcome to Incoming Game Bonus Edition. Uh, this is Ben talking to you. And this is Jessica talking to you. <laughs> it's apparently how we're introducing ourselves now. We don't know what we're doing today. So yeah, so we have a very special treat for our listeners. We actually have Reboot co-creator Gavin Blair with us today to do a special post-season one wrap-up interview. Hi, guys. Hi, Gavin. Thank you so much, by the way, for talking to with us. This is such a treat. Oh, no worries. It's all fun. Yeah, this is really great. Like, I first publicized in, like, one of the Facebook groups that we were, you know, putting this podcast out, and I think you were one of the first people to respond, actually, and I didn't even know who you were at the time. And I'm like, who's this guy? And then Jessica's like, that's Gavin Blair! <laughs> <laughs> like, Ben, don't you know who you're talking to right now? <laughs> I lurk. I lurk. I have no life. I just lurk. <laughs> but I thought it was amazing that, yeah, like, you, you found out about the show from the very beginning, and you've been listening and, like, commenting ever since, which is fantastic. Well, I, I love the concept of it, uh, you know, the sort of the fan and the person who hasn't, has never seen the show, and I'm assuming that's a real concept and you didn't make it up. No, it's completely real. Ben had come out with the idea of doing a podcast in general, and I was actually listening to a podcast for um, Gargoyles. And I mean, I won't dunk on it, but it, I wasn't too big of a fan. I was like, I could do better than this, but I won't do Gargoyles. Someone's already doing Gargoyles. What else can I do? I was like, oh, Reboot. Ben, what about Reboot? And he's like, I don't know what that is. <laughs> no, <laughs> I knew what it was. I just hadn't seen it. Oh, I got to say, I got a, I got a big kick from listening to you guys talking about the show. Because obviously, Jess, you know, you're a fan and that's fantastic. And But Ben is like, what, how old are you, Ben, can I ask? I am actually 32. You're th a 32-year-old guy in 2018 is watching a 23-year-old show. <laughs> and, and every now and again, you go like, that was really cool. Or I really liked that. Or that made me laugh. And that gives me a big thrill because it's like, hey, we obviously did something okay. <laughs> so now obviously our last three episodes probably haven't come out yet for you to listen to. But um, we did finished the finale and i think we both had a consensus that we both really liked it and what was the other one the uh, talent night we had a lot of mixed feelings about but <laughs> in general it was a good time we thought it was kind of uneven in parts i think but uh but overall it was funny like it, i think we said it was we consider it kind of non-canon <laughs> yeah yeah talent night was a bit of fun it broke a few rules and you you got to take it with a pinch of salt and stuff like that. But believe it or not, that was our bottle show. Do you understand the concept of a bottle show? We do. But if you want to explain it for the audience. Yeah, a, a bottle show is it's supposed to be an episode of whatever show you're doing where you use limited characters and limited sets to save production time. It's kind of like Medusa Bug was a bottle show because like halfway through the episode, most of the characters have been turned to stone. So it really saves on production. And Talent Night was, gonna, was our attempt at another bottle show. Uh, and the original concept was they get stranded, a bunch of characters, maybe half a dozen characters, get stranded in the diner by a data storm. <laughs> and all you can see out the windows of the diner is like shash and gray. You can't see anything outside. And you're stuck in the diner with half a dozen characters for the whole episode. So it should help production. <laughs> now, can you spot the problem with what happened with Talent Night? It seems to have grown a little bit from... <laughs> it just went 
out of control. It just got out of control, and we had all these, oh, we can have all oh, the Dire Straits characters, and all oh, we can have, oh, Captain Kirk can be there, and oh, we'll do this. And, we'll, and then we're building a stage, <laughs> and we've got hundreds of characters and an audience, and it just, yeah, bottle show my ass. Right, yeah, it seemed like you had to put more work into that one than anything else. It was more work than most of the other episodes in the entire season, so... But everybody liked it, so, you know. So, let's, um, speaking of this, like, based off of what you've heard so far, like, so, are there certain things that you know that, like, we definitely got right and certain things that we got wrong? Well, it, it's not so much got it wrong, got it right. It's, you know, I'll be sitting there going, like, you know, we thought that was funny, Ben didn't, or, you know... <laughs> You know, obviously season one is rife with, you know, we were working very hard to get the show out the door. So it's glitchy and clunky and there's some, there is some bad animation in it and stuff like this. But we were trying our best. And some of the jokes fall flat on their face and don't land. And some of the timing, I mean, I watch it now with you and I'm like, oh God, yeah, pick up the pace. Come on, cut, 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 <laughs> yeah. cut. Get it. For God's sake, that joke is funny, but now it's not because you took way too long to tell it right i'll say that got a lot better like over the course of the season like it was really only the first few episodes where that was really an issue exactly i mean i think we we got a handle on what we were doing very quickly i i can watch that first season and i can each episode is like oh that's where we got control of the sound and that's where we got control of the mix and that's where we got control that's where we you know everybody got used to using grin which was the package that makes the characters speak you know and that's where we upgraded those models so they work better and you know i can see you know that's where we got rid of storyboards because when when we started the show just i'll just back up a little bit because this is all very pertinent to season one when we started the show we were these three crazy guys from england with a wacky idea and and we kind of knew, we knew about CG, but all the people we were working with didn't because it was brand new back then. And so we we had a lot of guys and girls who worked in the traditional animation field. And they were like, yeah, well, I know you guys have got this crazy idea, but the way we do it in animation is like this. And we'd be like, yeah, but this isn't like traditional animation. This is different. We have to do it a different way. And on some things, it took a few episodes for us to get control and for them to start realizing that this wasn't like traditional animation. Like I said, the storyboards thing. What happens once the script's approved, once everybody approves the scripts in traditional animation back in 1993, the script goes away to a storyboard artist who storyboards the entire episode. And then the uh, network and BSNP and people like that all look through the storyboard and compare it to the script, and we would have these ridiculous conversations where they'd go, on page 48 of the storyboard, there's a picture of Dot, uh, and she's fallen on the ground, and her boobs look very big. (laughs) (laughs) And we'd be like, well, it doesn't matter, because... Dot is a 3D character in the system. You know how big her boobs are. Oh, yeah, but on that page, that storyboard image, her boobs look very large. And it's like, it doesn't matter. The storyboard is is irrelevant. I wonder if they thought you were, like, going to remodel her for every scene. (laughs) Exactly, because what would happen in traditional animation, if the storyboard went away to China or wherever to be animated, the animators worked to the storyboard. 
But with us, that doesn't work because Dot is an actress. She's a digital actress, and that's how big her boobs are. And you've approved the size of her boobs. <laughs> and so we'd have these endless arguments with people who were used to doing it a certain way, bless them. And it, it took a few episodes for it to sink in, you know, like by the TIFF. I think the TIFF was the episode where we got rid of storyboards. See, that's interesting, because we just spoke in our last episode that the TIFF felt like the first really solid, you've got your feet on the ground episode of season one. Yeah. So we'd had those first four episodes up to Medusa Bug. We were just trying to get the things out the door. And now we're in full swing, and the network and all our the people who were working on the show with us, they now knew that we knew what we were talking about if that makes any sense. So they, they, we stopped fighting about things, and we could just get on with making a good show. Which, uh, which episodes are your favorites of this season? Of season one. Talent Night, just because it's ridiculous. I, you, you, <laughs> you can't not like... And again, Talent Night, not only was it supposed to be a bottle show, we, we used the whole Enzo's birthday thing. The Enzo model was a problem. He had weird arms that kept bending funny, and he had the weird shoulder pads that kept intersecting. You always had to do a separate pass for the shoulder pads, and it was a pain in the bum. So it's like, we need to up- update the Enzo model. Oh, I know. He can have a birthday. He can go from 01 to 10, and we'll change the model. We'll fix all the things that are wrong with the model. So that was us being smart asses. That was the same episode that uh, you got a new voice actor for Enzo. And he actually sounded younger. So like he was—he had a birthday, so he's technically getting older, but he made him sound even younger than he was previously. I forgot about that. I'd for, I knew, obviously, I knew we kept swapping our Enzos, but, um, and that was a rod we made for our own backs. Because, obviously, traditionally in animation, you get a woman to do little boys because they don't get older. <laughs> and we were like, no, we want to use a real kid. And it's like, yeah, and that was great. I mean, Jesse Moss, the first Enzo, was fantastic. And he's still a, a, a jobbing actor in Vancouver today. He's in a lot of shows. But yeah, then his voice starts breaking and it's like, oh, crap. <laughs> and then they were like, okay, you're going to get a girl now? And we're like, no, we're going to get another boy. So we got <laughs> so we got another boy. And eventually his voice started to go, oh, crap, we need to get another one. <laughs> Do you, do you remember if that was intentional or if that was just happens, complete happenstance that you managed to switch the voices out on his birthday episode? I guess we, I don't recall, I honestly don't remember, but uh, I can only assume that we went, hey, you know, if we're going to do it, this is the time to do it. <laughs> it makes perfect sense. So anyway, yeah, and what other episodes? I love the pirate episode. Oh, that's so good. Because it's pirates and it's silly and it's and it's Monty Python and all that stuff. And uh, and I and I like the tiff. I always like the tiff. For me, it was definitely the tiff. For second place was between Crimson Binome and Wizards and Warriors, and a word from our sponsors. Oh God, yeah. How can I forget Wizards Warriors? Yeah. And I think I said that my my top two were actually uh, surprisingly Enzo centric because I liked uh, Enzo the Smart and the Great Brain Robbery. That's cool. Enzo is weird because (laughs) no and and let me explain what i mean when we were first putting the show together like so this is back in england in 91 ish 92 ish where we were you know we were mapping out our show and chris bruff who's the producer he'd come on on board by that time he was like you know 
you're going to need to put a kid in the show. And we were like, we don't want to put a kid in the show. We're stupid kids. You know, it's like, <laughs> we, we wanted to be, be Dot, Bob and Dot and Megabyte and Hexadecimal and no stupid kids. And he's like, no, look, you got to put a kid in it because you, the kids need somebody to relate to and all that kind of stuff. And we're like, they can relate to the binomes. He's like, no, you need a, <laughs> you need a, a human kid in there. God damn it. So we, we relented and we, we were very resentful that we had to put a kid in the show. We were like, oh, bloody Enzo, he's so annoying. <laughs> mumble, mumble, grumble. But then as the show went on and particularly going through season two and into season three, we loved him. He, we, we really grew to love the little spud, you know? He was, he was, a, he was a great character. And I'm I'm very surprised, Ben, because, yeah, you were echoing my sentiments as you were watching the early episodes going, oh, Enzo, he's so annoying. <laughs> and it, and now you're saying, you know, he's, he's, those two episodes are your favorites. I think that's really cool. I'm interested in, in the beginning. How are you just like, we're going to we're going to do this. We're going to make this show about inside the computer. Now we're going back into the deep, dark past. <laughs> um, this is we, we're going back to the mid 80s in England. So Ian and I are working together at a company called Russia's Post Production. Uh, Phil and I knew each other from college and John Grace was our tutor at college. So that's how we all knew each other. And then once we gra- once Phil and I graduated college, we both moved to London. We both got jobs at separate companies. Um, I got a job at Russia's Post Production as a film runner. And that's where I met Ian. And Ian had just, they'd literally just installed this brand new state of the art for 1984 uh, computer animation system called a a Bosch FGS 4000. And because I was an animator and a graphic designer, Ian kind of enticed me into the graphics department. (laughs) Uh, And I I started working there as his assistant. And we, we got on because we were both northerners. And the first gig he landed for the pair of us was the Dire Straits Money for Nothing video. So we did that and made a big stir and we got like years, two years of commercial work on the back of that video. But immediately after we finished Dire Straits, we were in the pub getting drunk um, <laughs> because we were because we were very tired because uh, we'd just worked for like three weeks straight with no sleep. So we're in the pub having a beer and Ian goes, you know what? We could do a show like that. We could do a, an animated show like dire straits and i'm like you're crazy we just nearly <laughs> killed ourselves for three weeks doing it and he's like no 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 it'll get better it'll get better and that was it we started kicking around while we were still doing our day jobs we started kicking around this idea of a computer generated television show and the reason it was set inside a computer is because it looked like dire straits that was our excuse for why it looked like the way it looked why it looked blocky and no shading and no shadows and things like that because it was inside a computer. And as soon as we told people that, they went, oh, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, okay, cool. (laughs) And we roped in John Grace because he had actually, because the first thing Ian said was, okay, we need to, We need to have somebody on board who knows how to make a TV show, because we don't. And John Grace, years before, had made a stop-frame animated show called uh, Portland Bill. So we called him up and said, John, you know how to get a TV show made. Join the gang. So that was the three of us. And then we roped in Phil. Phil's like, hey, come on, Phil, you're an animator and a cool guy. Let's let's get you in the gang. So that was the hub. Those four people, that was known collectively as the hub. Uh, and we developed this idea for Reboot, this show set inside a computer. Now, what was also happening at the same time was that computers and animation software 
were getting better. So by the time, and it took nine years for us to flog this idea, we partnered up with Limelight and flogged the idea to ABC. And that's a nine-year development period. And the show had evolved to match the technology of the time. So now it looked closer to what it looks like when it hit the screen. That's right, because yeah, when we looked at those like early tests, like there was quite a difference in like the evolution from like the first one to the third one. Exactly, and that was us. That was our idea evolving with the software of the time, because we were these. Like I say, we all had our day jobs, and we were these these three guys putting stuff together and doing animation tests in our spare time. And we put together that demo tape, the one where Bob was called Chip. And he and he's just got he's just got the ball for a head with no lips. And we sent them to Chris Bruff, who was in LA. And he went into an edit suite, edited them together, and got an a voice actor in to put voices to it. Now Bob, sorry, Chip at the time, was gonna be like, you know, your classic mid Atlantic hero. But we hadn't told we hadn't told Chris that Megabyte was supposed to talk like George Sanders in the Jungle Book. <laughs> he was supposed to talk like Shere Khan. You know, hello, but you know, he was supposed to talk like Tony J. Basically, is what we're saying. Yeah. But we 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 neglected to tell Chris that. So he gets in this voice actor, and he's like, "Well, what do you want me to do for the bad guy?" And. and they, they came up with this Joe Pesci thing, <laughs> and they put it on tape, and they sent us the tape back. Now, remember, this is this is before the internet, so about two weeks, three weeks after we'd sent them the tape, we get a tape back, and we put it in the machine, and we watch it, <laughs> and it gets to Megabyte like, ooh, ay, 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 I gotta... <laughs> and, and me and Ian, me and Ian are like, what the hell is this? Bless him, though, Chris made up for that blunder, um, by he said, well, I know this guy called Tony J, and I think he's what you're looking for. And he sent us some tapes and stuff, and and we're like, that's it, that's the guy. Well, it's funny that you said that you were looking for Shere Khan because Tony J was Shere Khan in multiple yes, Disney things. Because that was it. We were like, you know, because obviously George Sanders long dead, and we said to Chris, you know, what we're looking for is George Sanders. We're looking for Shere Khan, and he's like, well, listen to this, <laughs> and it's like, well, that on the nose, there you go. Let's do that. That's awesome. Yeah. So anyway, yes. Yeah, so that was, did that answer the question? Yeah. We, we, we yeah, just... came up with a wacky idea after we did Dire Straits, developed it, pushed the boulder along for nine years, and then got together with Limelight and Chris and flogged the idea to ABC, got on a plane, <laughs> flew to Vancouver. <laughs> and that was, and that was all she wrote. What was it about Vancouver? Like what, why, why Canada? Again, I got to give Chris Bruff the props for this one. He, Chris is Canadian, but he does a lot of work in L.A. And we, we always assumed that we'd be doing it in L.A. Because that's where you go to, you know, that's Hollywood. That's where you go to make stuff like this. And that's where ABC are and yada, yada, yada. And that's where Limelight are. So we, we just assumed we'd be moving to L.A. And none of us were that happy about it. <laughs> <laughs> and Chris went, well, you know, I do a lot of work in Vancouver. And not only are the Canadian tax breaks very generous, <laughs> but it's a nice place, and there are an awful lot of animators come out of Vancouver. They've got some great animation schools. Everything was cheaper, and there were loads of animators, and there's great sound studios here and all this. So, yeah, that's how we ended up in Vancouver. How young were you guys when you were doing this show, if that's okay to ask? <laughs> uh, let's see. We, no, that's fine. It's fine to ask. So you might have to do the mental arithmetic. Um Ian and I met in 81, 
and I was born in 61, so I was 20. I met Ian when I, when I was 20. He's a few years older than me. Phil's like six months younger than me. So you really were. You were just like out of college and, and doing these. Fresh out of college, did Dire Straits, and then plus nine years of working working in the TV industry, basically. So you were just under 30 or so at that yeah. point. Yeah, when we moved to Canada, yeah. So we had a question about making the show more adult as it went on. Uh, was that something that you consciously did like, or that you wanted to be from the beginning, or did it just kind of develop naturally that way? Yeah, here's the thing, right? I'm watching, there's a certain other show that's come out recently, and we're seeing a lot of comments about it online. And the excuse a lot of the fans of that show are using for why it's rubbish is, well, it's a kid's show. And that makes me really mad. Because that's basically saying, because it's a kid's show, it doesn't matter if it's shite. (laughs) And that really gets my go. Because we sold Reboot as a kid's show. But we made sure to put layers into that show. So that kids can watch it and enjoy it. And so that their bigger brothers and sisters can watch it and enjoy it. And so their parents can watch it and enjoy it. Because the trouble with kid's shows is you end up having to watch them with your kids. <laughs> so so we, we wanted to put stuff in there that the grown-ups would enjoy as well. And I think the way the show evolved, it did grow up a little bit. As any storyteller will tell you, that no matter what they sell first, they'll always push it in the direction they want to go. And if they don't get any resistance, they'll keep pushing it that way. <laughs> and that's And that's what we did with Reboot. And every now and again, we get resistance. I mean, in season one, we were getting a lot of resistance from BS&P. And I think that just made us smarter. I've heard that a lot, that like when, when, when they have to work with censorship, it makes them get clever, you know, to get some of the stuff past the radar. Exactly. You know, like the big, the guns in the TIFF, they started out, they were just going to be guns. They were just going to be blasters. And BSMP said, ooh, no guns. And we're like, uh, okay. And then Ian went, tell you what, what if they're guns that fire bubbles? and contain the prisoners. And they're like, ooh, that sounds fine. <laughs> so, and, and Ian and he's like, okay, bye, and hung up the phone. And he's like, right, make the guns huge. <laughs> <laughs> and when you fire them, they go blam, 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 with big flames spitting out the front. But they fire bubbles. So yeah, the show did grow up, but uh, and consciously so. But we, I think we always tried not to go too far. I think season four ended up being very dark. And I think that is because of the cuts we had to make. Comedy takes time. If you're doing funny stuff, it takes a lot more screen time than doing dramatic stuff. Season four had as much humor in it as season three did. But when it all went to hell and we couldn't make the overlength episode, we'll talk about this maybe if you have me back later to talk about season four. Yeah. You know, when when the shows went from 30 plus minutes down to 21 minutes, uh, the first thing that hit the cutting room floor is humour. So everybody goes, oh, season four is incredibly dark and grim. And and we're like, yeah, and we couldn't help that because we're trying to tell a story and now you've taken all the jokes out. So now it just looks miserable. Season three, I think, was... It does have its dark moments. <laughs> I, won't, I won't disagree. But... Um, I think we managed to sort of have fun along the way with that one. For me personally, that's one of my favorite things about this show and and shows in general. Shows that manage to balance that humor with the drama really always, they're they're the ones that I'm drawn towards. And I think that's one of the reasons like season three for me is probably my favorite season as well. It's just, you've got that great balance of I'm laughing, but I'm also really sad. (laughs) And maybe even crying. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. So this show ended up predicting a lot of 
future tech. Like Dots Planner is essentially an iPad. We were just going over the last episode and we called it an iPad the whole time. Yep. We even have the insult of basic is now actually an insult. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so is it is it weird for you? Like every time something comes up and you're just like, oh, I, you know, that was in my show 30 years ago. Yeah, it's, I mean, you could argue... Well, yeah, but that evolution is, you could have expected it. You get a cell phone, your cell phone becomes a smartphone, then you make the smartphone bigger, and now, oh, it's an iPad. You could argue that it's natural evolution, but yeah, we did kind of predict it. (laughs) (laughs) Which is, you know, you've got Bob with his his iWatch. Yeah. Right. If you like. (laughs) Glitch, glitch stats, you know. And you've got Dot with her iPad, and jokingly, this is a joke, it, the whole sort of purple GameCube coming down. Right, yeah. That, I said that in the first episode without realizing that it's a legitimately called a GameCube. Like, I kind of jokingly said, oh yeah, it's a purple GameCube. <laughs> and I was like, yes, yes it is. <laughs> Think, things make me laugh like that, because I go, oh hey, that's a so-and-so. And then I look up the dates, and it's like, oh my god, we were five years ahead of them. <laughs> yeah. But uh, no, it's cool. I think it's very cool when I see stuff and it's like, oh, come on, that's that's Dot's organizer and stuff like that. And the terminology, I mean, I love it. Yeah. Yeah, basic. That's just got to be weird. Like, you know, like, oh, yeah, that's what that's what we did. We did that. And I got to give props to the the L.A. writers in the early days there. Lane and his and the guys in L.A. were putting a lot of that terminology in. You know, oh, you're so basic, Bob. It's like, thank you, Lane, for that one. You know, that's that's very good. <laughs> so um, in regards to the games, yeah. did you mostly try to draw from real games? Or were you trying to project like what you wanted games to be like? Or was it just a matter of making them work visually for the show? Oh my goodness! A little from all those columns, I think. We <laughs> one thing we tried to do with both the games and the in jokes was we never just tried to do one thing straight. It, we tried to do this plus this plus this. You know, the game isn't just that game. It's kind of like this game, but it's also kind of like that game over there. And there's an element of this thrown in. And, you know, like that in-joke is we're not just reusing someone else's joke. We're making a twist on it and adding another level to it. So we, we never tried to do a direct reference. Uh, we always tried to mix up our references. And I think I, I said on Twitter the other problem we had for ourselves, because the whole concept of the games was... Our heroes go in and defend against the user. And what we didn't think ahead and realize ahead of time was, yeah, well, that means they're the bad guys. <laughs> if, you're playing a, if your user's playing a James Bond game, he's James Bond. You are the villain. Um, you are the lackeys with the AK-47s trying to stop James Bond. Like the, the Wizards Warriors is a great example because that is one of those co-op games where it's one team against another team. So we could actually get our characters to play the heroes, even though we switched the roles, you know, like Bob was, the, Bob was the thief and Mike was the warrior. At least we got to play the good guys as well, up against another team of good guys. You said that the um, the initial script for the Wizards Warriors, and w- word from our sponsor, was 52 pages originally? 52 pages, and half of it was <laughs> unanimatable. Like I said, there was this huge sequence with an animated hedge maze. Right. <laughs> which, not only did the hedge maze get bigger and, and trap our characters, but it put out vines that twined around them. Mm. Uh... And, we re- and we read it and called Lane, and we're like, dude, what are you, are you trying to kill us? We can't do any of this. <laughs> but we had to deal with it, because we were on a deadline and all that. So yeah, we just we just recorded the whole thing, and then Ian got in the Avid and just 
chop, 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 chop. Oh, I'm going to grab a line from it. Bob. Glitch Cutter is from an earlier, is oh, from the Magnet episode. Okay. It's from yeah. Quick and the Fed, where he goes, Glitch Cutter. That's, you know, and he's pulling lines in from all over the place to make this thing work. And then he came up with the gauntlets going, ka-ching, level 12, ka-ching, level 24. Just to bridge the scenes. Just to move, <laughs> keep it moving and try and make it funny. I actually was just playing some D&D earlier today. Uh, one of the women I was playing with, um, I mentioned I was doing the podcast, and she was just like, reboot? I love reboot. And she was saying that how much she would love to do like a reboot-inspired RPG. Is that something that you guys ever thought about doing? Oh, yeah. I mean, that would have been so cool, yeah. There, there was going to be a humongous toy push for Season 4, which included like a range of incredible figures and games and stuff like that. And we were going to get into the computer stuff and we were talking about yeah so if that hadn't fallen flat on its face we could be playing you know mm what is it mmorpgs of <laughs> well that kind of leads into my next question which is in your perfect world where did you see reboot ending up as a series six seasons in a movie as the kids say <laughs> i think the fourth season would have led to a movie we between season two and season three we wrote a script for a movie and it was called terabyte rising then that didn't happen and we did other stuff and we did Beast Wars and, and War Planets and stuff like that. And then we did, we actually got a deal for season three, which for me, uh, season three is my favorite season. It's my favorite child um, because I think we got a lot of things right in season three. The tone, the pacing, the length, the number of episodes, the arcs, you know, I think we got, we nailed it pretty much in that one. Uh, and then when season three ended, and it was like, okay, maybe we should revisit the idea of a movie. And then that didn't, stuff happened and business. I mean, a lot of, I, I, I have to chuckle a little bit when I read people on the internet going, well, why don't they just do this? And it's like, <laughs> you, you don't work in television, do you? You don't work in the, it's not that, it, you can't just, let's just do it. It doesn't work like that. And then we got the season four thing and we actually took a lot of the concepts from the script we'd written and put them into, into season four. I was going to say, Terabyte Rising sounded a lot like Damon Rising. Exactly, yeah. So like the concept of the portal device and kilobyte hey, upgrading. Hey, hey. Spoilers. Hey. Oh, oh my God. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, no, no. I, I will be careful with spoilers. But yes, there are a lot of things that happen in season four that the, the concepts were taken from that script we wrote. I've actually got a question for you, which I'll ask you in a second. Okay, um, great. All right, forget the podcast. Yeah. Forget everything. So you're trapped in a cabin with no internet. <laughs> and, and, the, and the only thing you have is season one of Reboot. So you're like, oh, well, I'm snowed in. I might as well watch it. And you watch season one of Reboot. And then you get out of the cabin and you come back to civilization. And somebody says, oh, you watch Reboot while you're in the cabin. Okay, well, I've got Reboot season two here. Do you want to watch it? What would you say? At this point, yes. Yeah, early on in the season, like like you'd seen, like I had some some questionable reactions to some of the episodes. And understandably so. Yeah, no, I agreed with some of but, them. But no, like <laughs> I I have admitted to Jessica, like by the end of this season, like I'm excited for what comes next, you know. There you go. That I they see that my heart just grew a little warm. <laughs> when you said that. So, you end up putting a lot of characters uh in the show that are kind of like name drops to either your core group or people you knew as you were developing the show. But is there a character that you think is like, think of as like a really like a self insert, like beyond name, just like, Oh, that, that, that's me. That's, I put him in there in the side. Oh my goodness. No, I no? don't 
think so. Unless, like in the tiff where Phil did it without telling me. <laughs> <laughs> where, where he built that monk. And, and after it was in, Phil's like, yeah, that's you. It's like, you bastard. <laughs> <laughs> so what episode are you most looking forward to Ben watching? Bad Bob. Bad Bob? Yeah. I, shall, I won't spoil it. It's just the way that episode came about, the way it happened, the way we threw it together. We animated that entire episode in eight days and everybody was so into it. I mean, because we all thought Mad Max was cool. So, you know, we, everybody was stoked for that episode. Uh, oh, Ben just, a penny just dropped in he Ben's put, head. He put two and two together there. <laughs> <laughs> so we were all big fans of it and we were all into it and we had no time to do it and everybody was just so into it. I'll tell you more about it after you've seen it. Okay. <laughs> so Bad Bob and and then the... I know it's running right to the end, but um, the last four episodes of the season. Because season three is four sets of four episodes. And the end of the last four episodes of season two is kind of a rehearsal for that. Because it's four separate episodes, but they do definitely link together to tell a bigger story. So we were actually, he was asking me the other day when it clicked for me, you know, what was the moment where I was just like, this show. And I was like, I think I got to pick the end of season two. That's when... I was just like, oh my God, this is, they did that. They're doing that. They're, <laughs> they're going that far. So the manure really hits the air conditioning in that. One. <laughs> so yeah, is there anything that you particularly wanted to talk about or bring up there or questions you want to ask us or. Well, I, I enjoy the podcast and I'm enjoying listening to it and it makes me laugh. And it's, it's actually nice for me to, cause I haven't watched the shows for a, a quite a while. A good few years, and it's quite nice for me to watch them one at a time, like in little doses. Some of them make me laugh, and some of them are beautiful, and some of them are a bit, you know, I've got painful memories associated with them. Mm -hmm. You know, because it was hard. Production was hard on that show. (laughs) I don't know, I don't suppose you can tell me when The Crimson Binome aired for the first time, can you? Let's see. January 7th, 1995. So I now know that on New Year's Eve, 1994, Phil and I were the only two guys in the building. (laughs) And we were both animating scenes for the Crimson Binome. (laughs) Which would air a week later. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And I can't remember what scene he was animating, but I was animating the dueling scene between Dot and Capacitor. You know, the amortization, become a buyer, all that stuff. And I I happened to glance at the clock and I saw that it was five to midnight. (laughs) So... I went I went to the kitchen, the office kitchen, because I knew where Chris Bruff hid the bottle of scotch. <laughs> so I went to the office kitchen and I got a couple of glasses and I poured a couple of shots of scotch and I went into Phil's uh, animation suite where he was sitting there with his headphones on blasting thrash metal or something. <laughs> blasting. <laughs> Phil, Phil's such a gentle soul, but he listens to the most aggressive music. It's crazy. So he's blasting this stuff. I can hear it outside the headphones and he's animating away. And he, he hits every key very hard. He, he's boom, 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 and click, click on the mouse. So I come up behind him and I nudge him and he jumps out of his skin. <laughs> and I give him, he takes the headphones off and I give him the scotch and I go, Happy New Year, Phil. And he's like, oh, and he looks at the clock and goes, oh, Happy New Year, mate. And we clink the glasses, drink the scotch. And then I go back to my suite and he goes back to his suite and we carry on animating. <laughs> so that actually blows my mind that like you were animating it like right up until air because like in my head, like I always thought it's like basically you you have like 
the season finished and then it airs. Then. I mean, oh my god, yeah. Uh, we dreamed of doing it like that. <laughs> Let's make all the episodes and then send... No, we have an air date and you got to make that air date or you get penalised. Mm-hmm. And and that's why ABC was so nice to us with the going into reruns early. Because um, they could have penalised us. They could have really spanked us on that. And they didn't. They went with it because of the reaction to the show. The show was getting a huge reaction. Because it was unlike anything anybody had ever seen. It really was the first. And so they cut us a lot of slack. But not too much slack. <laughs> <laughs> so so we were we were finishing a show, banging it into the edit suite, slapping it together, putting the top and tail on it, putting the clock on the front, putting the credits on the back, putting it in a runner's hands. The runner was getting in his car, driving to the airport, getting on a plane and flying to LA on a Saturday, no, on a Friday evening. So he could put the tape in the hands of the broadcast guys on a Saturday evening <laughs> so it could be broadcast the next morning. Wow. Oh, man. So we, we, more than once, we had to send a runner on a plane <laughs> to take the tape to ABC for broadcast. Wow. And you tell kids today that, and they don't <laughs> believe you. <laughs> What's a tape? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you got me on that one as well. Yeah, exactly. It's like, oh boy, I am old. It's amazing. The te- I mean, Ian and I talk about that a lot, the 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 tech the way technology has gone in such an incredibly short space of time yeah i mean when we when we started reboot none of us had cell phones or pcs you know and and Mm -hmm. now i have a phone in my hand that has more power than the entire render farm that mainframe had it is crazy crazy there you go well thank you so much for joining us we really had a blast we really appreciate it it was so fun the show is so great and i can't thank you enough for one making the show and two coming here to talk to us and and let us podcast about it no it's fun <laughs> yeah i would said i think maybe we should have you back every season end you know we'll come back and catch up again <laughs> i would be absolutely fine with that anytime it's awesome i love it